My name is Dustin Kelly, but everybody calls me DJ. I'm prior Army, serving as both a Ford Observer and a military police officer. I spent the last 14 and a half years as a police officer and detective in a large metropolitan police department. Two things that I've learned throughout my career. One, everybody has a story to tell. And two, the best stories are true. This is the DTD Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This week, we have a great guest for you. He's a retired Sergeant Major with 26 years of active duty service. He spent duty stations at the 82nd Airborne, 2nd Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment, and in Special Forces in the 1st Group, 5th Group, and 7th Group. He was medically retired for injuries received in combat and took part in operations Just Cause, Enduring Freedom, Iraqi Freedom 1 and 2, he formed this uh, kind of synergistic company to help veterans that either can't find their way or are trying to find their way, but just need that little help. It's Sergeant Major Mark Bayless, and he's here with Valor. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited to talk about this. Um, when I read about your organization and everything that you sent me, it was amazing in the small amount of time how much your company had grown and how much it had taken over while it was growing. So in 2012, you helped about 50 veterans. Uh, by 2020, you had served almost 9,000 homeless or at-risk homeless veterans. That's an incredible journey in just a mere eight years. And after talking to you today, it's even higher than that. So before we get into the company of it, uh, I want to kind of go over why you did this. Talk about your military career a little bit and then why you focused on this company. Well, I uh, I founded the company, so uh, uh, and I I I I got going kind of out of necessity. This is a this is a challenge that came to me. I didn't go to it, as strange as that sounds. But I uh, I uh, I broke my back in Baghdad, and and the uh, army spent a couple three years trying to heal me up to figure out if they could fix it. And when they realized they couldn't, they put me out medically, and uh, hence the medically retired. And uh, when I uh, uh, some some unusual circumstances happened, but they lost my pension and a few other unusual things happened that don't traditionally happen. But I got out like a private. I had no income. I was uh, trying to get a lot of health care because I still had health that needed to be managed when I got out here. And uh, and the VA at that point was still very slow in processing applications for benefits. And uh, others, it's improved greatly over the years. But, but I filed before I got out on benefits at discharge in October of 2006. And uh, and they didn't settle my claim till the 18th of December 2009. And uh, uh, the type of things I was dealing with were uh, having to pay for my health care at the VA for injuries I got in the war. I was pretty frustrated about it. Wow. And uh, and then I went to uh, I started uh, I was living in a camper because I, I had no income and I was living off my savings and uh and had, was forced to learn the VA system so I could undo my some of my things. I had a I had a friend at uh, Fort Bragg help me a little bit with the paperwork initially, but uh, but we were amateurs kind of doing it together and and uh, and it didn't go as well as it could have. And when I turned to uh, professionals up here, what I thought were professionals up here, uh, I did I did not I was not well received 
on what my issues were because people were like, yeah, if your paperwork's in and you got to do whatever the VA says, doesn't matter what we're going to do. We're not going to do anything for you. So just live with it. And uh, that wasn't working for me. So I, I read all the VA rules uh, starting in about 2008. And uh, I think they call it title 38 technically, but, uh, uh, and then I redid all my own paperwork with their rules as a guide and my stuff went right through. And, uh, what I learned from that, I'd be sitting up in the VA hospital waiting for an appointment and I'd hear some, some young vet across the room complaining about how they can't get any help and they got hurt and they're having problems. And I and the old sergeant major in me, I'd go, Hey, I'll buy you a cup of coffee when we're done. Let's go downstairs and talk. And, uh, I started the way it begins as I start doing helping veterans, uh, that were struggling with the same struggles I had getting service connection with the VA. And uh, now I'm accredited claims agent. I can represent uh, veterans. Uh, the, the organization is not yet a VSO recognized in Congress, veteran service organization recognized in Congress, but I am an accredited claims agent with the VA, like a veteran service officer with the VA. And, uh, and uh, most of those first 50 were people where I was helping them uh, get their service connection claims through the VA so they could get help, medical help, etc. with their uh, from their injuries and uh, uh, because I was busted up I couldn't really work and I wasn't up for sitting around the house I was and uh, so I started volunteering in a food pantry and the uh, almost everybody coming through our food pantry line above the age of about 35 was a veteran and that struck me as odd so I started taking the veterans in the back room and talking with them and, and it, I ended up doing almost every one of them that was unemployed was unemployed for health conditions related to their service, preventing them from working and started doing more claims paperwork for the people in the line at the VA instead of just meeting them when I was up at the hospital myself. And, uh, and before I know it, people were showing up at my door with, with homeless vets living under bridges and going, Mark, can you help them? Can you help them? Come on, you got to help them. And, uh, I, I didn't know how to help them. And, uh, but I couldn't turn my back on them either. And, uh, so I started, uh, working to connect homeless veterans with resources to get them housed. And that had a whole host of frustrations uh, that that uh, didn't seem fitting to me. I, I do not believe anybody watching this podcast thinks it's a good idea that, that somebody should go defend their country in combat and come home and the reward is to live under a bridge. I just don't think that's what people want. And, uh, and so I spent some time and it was very frustrating and very hard to get them uh, into housing. And then when you finally got them into opportunities where they were housed, uh, very soon there's a relapse and they, they traditionally call it recidivism. But I was running, I'd, I'd, I'd work with a, what would then be a partner agency. I was just a good Samaritan at the time and uh, get somebody housed. And the next thing I know, they're back in the street and I'm looking at them going, Donnie, what are you doing back out of here? The, uh, well, I didn't really have any income and they put me in the house and in the apartment usually. And, uh, and they'd have their tail of the cycle and how they ended up back there. And uh, uh, about that time, I started uh, networking, hey, this thing's bigger than me, and uh, put together a board of directors. And that had been about summer of 2011. And uh, I, I resigned from the food pantry. And uh, by then I was the director of the food pantry. I, re I resigned from volunteering at the food pantry, uh, put together a team of colleagues that I served with, particularly in special forces, uh, now it's expanded. Some a bunch of my Ranger buddies are are involved now, but uh, I uh, 
we together we founded a 501c3. We got our uh, our our official acknowledgement from the federal IRS level on the 13th of uh, January 2012, and from that point it started becoming formal records keeping of who we were helping. And uh, it was that year. It was mostly uh, of those 50. They're mostly uh, injured vets getting them service connection and connected so they could get their health care benefits from the VA. But uh, but eight or 10 of them that first year or probably, I'm doing this off memory, I have it all in in, uh, in PowerPoint slides uh, saved the exact numbers, but uh, but it, you know, seven or, it was seven or eight homeless ones in the street where we were, uh, we were providing them basic services and helping network them into housing. And uh, in 2014, uh, we had showed, uh, taken some, uh, some local politicians into local homeless camps that they weren't aware were here. It's, it's a reasonably rural part of uh, Pennsylvania. And we'd walk down the railroad tracks and tuck into the woods by a river behind a cliff and go walk them right into the tents and, uh, and uh, the little buildings made out of pallets and covered with tarps. And uh, on the walk out, uh, a gentleman that's now a senator here looked at me and said, Mark, you come tell me what you need to fix this, but this is not going on in my district. And uh, uh, that was in 2013, and in the 2014 uh, grant cycle, we got the money to buy an old uh, old historic hotel, and uh, we made it ground zero. And once once 2014 came, and we had a place to to like do this, uh, it took off like a weed, and uh, it just started. It started. It's been growing. It's been growing on a, at a rate that's hard to put into put into words. Uh, we started we started doing a few meals with a holiday meals program where we knew there was financially struggling vets that had been housed and leaving holiday meals on their porch and uh, doing more outreach where we were going into the places where the homeless lived and and uh, organize in an organized manner giving uh, basic needs clothes food uh, tents sleeping bags coats boots shoes you name it uh, I think I think Bamba gave us twenty five thousand pair of socks a couple months ago and I think they're all gone already kind of thing. We're going to need a resupply. But uh, the, the volume at this point we're at where we give away uh, about 300,000 uh, clothing items a year uh, and and very close. Uh, it swing COVID had some swings in it. So I hate to estimate too too much for 2020 because we haven't finished the totals. But uh, but I think we gave we gave out about eighty or ninety thousand thousand uh, meals uh, over the course of of 20, 2020, even in the down year of COVID, and the year before that, it was it was well into the the hundred thousands uh, that we gave out in twenty nineteen, and I expect twenty twenty one we are going to be well up over the six figure line in meals alone, let alone. Uh, the nights of shelter we provide in our homeless shelter here in Pennsylvania. We're, we're renovating one in Ohio now that I that I am hoping uh, in early 2022. Uh, we do a lot with volunteers, so the work doesn't always move as fast. But uh, as as if so, we were borrowing money or things. But let me ask you something, Mark, because there's a there's a lot to unpack there. Yes, there is. We didn't even get into the counseling program we built with a doctor. To right, help and guys. we're going to get into that. But here's the thing. Yeah. This is here's where it the very first sidestep kind of that I hear is when you say you got out of the military, you broke your back in Baghdad, um, you're at the sergeant major level. 
Um, yeah. You've given 26 years to the military. Um, I don't even need to go through I, all I broke of my back as a master sergeant, but, uh, but was promoted uh, for the same uh, activities during which I break my back. But uh, so, okay. So yeah. So, so you get promoted um, to even go through the list of awards that you've received is, uh, you know, un. It's crazy to even go through it. Everything that you've earned, expert infantry badge, master parachutist, all these things. You do all this. What I think is interesting and what I want the people to understand is you're at the SAR major level, master SAR level, and then SAR major level. You get out and they lose your retirement. You break your back. You have to go through all kinds of rigmarole. The, the big thing that I want to point out here is you're at the highest level that you can be in the enlisted yeah. So I'm wondering what's happening to privates, specialists, sergeants that get out that really don't have that backing behind them. So let's break that down yeah. right now. Of, well, that is of, not a happy place. I lived it. I'm just telling you, that's not a happy place. How do you, where do you want me to start? Well, that's what I'm saying. So let, let's break that down of, first off, how does that happen to you? Because it, it sounds crazy to hear it and and. I think a lot of people would look at it and go, how does that even happen? So <laughs> if anyone's been around the military was, or a government organization, <laughs> yeah, if, if anyone's been around the military, a government organization, a big corporation, they will understand how that could happen. But for the people that don't know, can you explain how this kind of takes uh, shape and kind of gets a life of its own? Well, when you, I, my perception is, and, and I have not run it all the way to ground. I just did what I could to get it uh, put in place, sent, sent copies of the paperwork to the right people to get it started again. But my perception, what probably happened is, is when you get out, uh, not many senior people get hurt and medically retired. They don't. They do the traditional retirement process and the traditional retirement process, everybody gets out on the last day of the month of the month and they save them all up and they all go up to to uh, Human Resources Command together. And uh, and I was this stray that they put you out exactly 90 days from the decision. So whatever that is, that's when you get out. And in my case, it was the 23rd. And uh, so I was I was probably this lone packet sitting there that came through a completely different system. It came through the hospital system instead of through up through the administrative side of paperwork. And it probably just landed on the wrong desk or in the wrong inbox. And uh, so given the benefit of the doubt that, that I was an unusual case, uh, but, but fortunately, uh, there was, a it was, a a, a wounded warrior advocate, uh, uh, now retired, uh, Colonel Henderson, Sharon Henderson, who, uh, who I called and went, Hey, uh, I got a problem. Can you think you can help me out? And, uh, she, she gave me some phone numbers and I called some people and, and they told me what to do. And, and, uh, once that happened, uh, things went pretty well. But initially when I was calling, they were all saying, well, it's probably just still in the system. Wait another 90 days, wait another 60 days. And that uh, was a really unusual place to be in because I went from X number income to no income. The VA for billing purposes hasn't service connected me yet. So they're doing my eligibility based on income. And they're saying that I make too money. I have to pay for all my health care. It was this, it was this, Oh, you're killing me here. You're killing me here. And, uh, but I learned a lot from it that, uh, you know, I guess things happen for a reason because uh, some of the lessons I gleaned in that I've been able to uh, 
I've been able to do a reach out and, and grab some of the younger troops. And in many cases, uh, I will tell you some of the older Vietnam vets that uh, the Agent Orange problems are, are arriving late in their lives uh, are having a real hard time in many cases, even knowing even knowing that they can get help. And uh, so it's it's it was it, there were difficult lessons to learn, but the, but they have had a, they have had a silver lining for for many people. And uh, so I. Uh, I, but I but I will tell you there was there was points in time where I was going man am I gonna be able to buy enough peanut butter and jelly to, to have my kids spend the weekend with me for my custody weekend? Well, it was, and, uh, was and, and, and that's my next question to you is yeah. you you go from this guy that's in charge to being treated like uh you know like you were never around. I want to talk about this, your mind state, because I think it's the mind state that a lot of the people that you work with have too. And yeah. so I want to talk about that because you and I, when we talked before this, we talked about, of course, your recidivism and all that. But you told me that the mental part is the hardest part of everything. So let's talk about first your mind state and then talk about how that has helped you with everyone that you're helping right now. Uh, uh, you know, if, if, if you can't see the other end, sometimes it's hard to drive through, right? So if you can't see the, the goal line, it's hard to, to know where you've got to get to to get a touchdown. And uh, sometimes if you keep, keep your eye where you're going that, uh, and just keep moving, it, it, can, uh, it can help keep, them, keep, your, keep you from blowing a gasket, get all upset at people. And, uh, and it was... Uh, I will tell you, I, I chewed one of those one of those uh, one of those billing department uh, people's behinds at the VA one day because they were threatening to call uh, bill collectors on me, and uh, you know I still I still have a pending one of those that I refuse to pay. There's a, and it's like five hundred bucks, and I just refuse. I ain't paying it, and uh, or they sent it to the bill collectors, and uh, and that one's just been too much paperwork to try to untangle. But but but. But those things, those things are hard. If you don't have a positive attitude and take the time to figure out how you're going to solve the problem and then just get after it, you're going to get frustrated and throw up your hands. And uh, I have an example with the one where it went to the bill collector, and uh, where I just got it, it got it got overwhelming trying to navigate that whole process once it got that far. But all the ones that were still in house, I uh, I was able to resolve and. Uh, and it's 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 worked out. It's worked out. It's worked out pretty well to this point. So lowest point during that for you? Uh, it was when I was trying to figure out if I could af afford to buy peanut butter sandwiches to feed my kid. Because uh, the reason I came up to Pennsylvania, I retired at Fort Bragg, uh, uh, and uh, came up here to be be by my my oldest son. And and uh, man, it was tough when I was trying to figure figure out. I'm living in a camper. You ever been living in a camper when it was seven below? Yeah, <laughs> that is. I'm just telling. It, it's chilly, and his, his his mom would get pissed. The uh, this, you know, some people would call this child abuse if I let him go up there. I was like, no, no. Well, we'll turn on. We'll plug in electric heaters, and we'll uh, we'll have campfires outside at night. We'll stay plenty warm. And and uh, and why I'm saying these things to her, I'm running through my head. Yeah, I can do all that, but. Am I going to be able to get enough peanut butter? Am I going to be able to go out and take out pizza so we got some dinner? And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a tough time to be in. And, and once you have some empathy for that, you don't want to see – you just don't I, – I couldn't turn my back on people when I 
when I heard they were having similar problems, once I knew how to navigate through it. And, uh, you know, they say once you, once you hold the knowledge, then you hold the responsibility. And uh, I had unique experiences giving me unique insights. And, uh, and uh, when it was bigger than me, I would go to places I thought would have empathy also and talk with them about how I was uh, trying to intercede to help some of these vets in bad places. And as the community got behind it, you can't, I, I will tell you, uh, when we got that homeless shelter, it was, it was, uh, we bought it from the bankruptcy courts. And in the end, with all the expenses, it cost us $209,000, of which uh, the local uh, senator I mentioned earlier got us about 191000 of it. Wow. And uh, uh, the community uh, chipped in the rest. And then we had a major renovation. And I, it was an amazing story. God is a plan. I don't always get to know what it is, but uh, but the story gets out. Hey, the historic hotel Jonas just got bought by this veterans group, and there's this guy up there swinging a hammer trying to trying to fix it up, and uh, and they would do little news stories about it, and and I will tell you it was not days, and I'd roll up there. And, and there'd be three professional electrician trucks in the driveway and two plumber trucks and a, and, a, and a bunch of carpenter guys with belts standing around smoking cigarettes before I even got there. And I'd walk up like, uh, uh, can I help you? <laughs> My job got canceled for today. We heard what you're doing. You got me for eight hours and I'll be back tomorrow. But then after that, I got to go back to my other job. Tell me what you want. And the next one would go. Same here, but I can only I can only give you a half day. I can give you a day and a half. And uh, before you can't you can't put into words. There were days I had seventy five people there and didn't ask anybody to go. The uh, it came out, and I I often joke. I, I shared a joke with you about it on the on the phone, and uh, uh, people would come up to me and go, you know, you did a million dollar renovation here. How much did that cost? And I went. I think we spent thirty five thousand dollars on materials. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, didn't pay a penny in labor didn't it, it has been it's a thing you can't put your words on into it and now we do uh, uh from that hub uh uh not only do we have the whole second floor of the building is where the veterans live uh uh we have a an amazing uh uh i don't want to give too much information about him he, he had a very sensitive job in, in the military at one point. And uh, sometimes, sometimes I, I uh, there are issues beyond homelessness in his case that, that I worry about and we try to give him a safe place to come. So he has one of the rooms and, and he deserves one of the rooms. Uh, the facility is named after a colleague of mine that fell in Balad from fifth group, uh, Major Paul Cyberson, who is, uh, is a tremendous, a tremendous guy. I was a, uh, uh, I was honored when I when I reached out to to the widow and said, "Hey, Jackie, I know you know I know you're about an hour and a half from here, but you're pretty close, and and uh, maybe kind of sorta would it be okay if when we opened it?" And uh, uh, she talked to the kids, and uh, and uh, they were they were very much enthusiastic about it. Uh, I will tell you, some of my colleagues are uh, think it's an insult to name the homeless shelter after a after a fallen special forces guy, and I, I view it as the, the motto in special forces is to free the oppressed, right? How much more oppressed do you get than homeless veterans? I mean, come on, guys. The, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, with, with that as the backdrop, this thing 
this thing has taken on a life of its own. And uh, our recidivism rate is below 5% for our residents. We built our programs on the difficulties we had trying to help the veterans get housed using other agencies and facilities. We have none of those obstacles. We have the only dog kennel I'm aware of in a homeless shelter anyways. And uh, vets have individual rooms. They don't have uh, big open bays. There's no bulletproof glass. The doors aren't locked. Come and go. Hey, you live here. You're one of us. Let's do it together. And uh, we like to call it uh, human care more than clinical care. But uh, they do they do very well as a result. And uh, and now we do homeless outreach in uh, three cities in Ohio. Uh, COVID COVID kind of crushed us in New Jersey, but we will resurrect there. Uh, we do uh, Easton, Bethlehem, Allentown, Strasburg, Wilkes-Barre, Hazleton, Lansford, and occasionally Scranton in Pennsylvania. We do forays out to Pittsburgh. We have a team just starting to grow in Pittsburgh. We uh, do, uh, uh, we call them War to Peace Readjustment Retreats, uh, mostly here in Pennsylvania, uh, some in New Jersey. Uh, we've been We've done our second one so far in North Georgia outside the Mountain Ranger Camp. We're doing another one in August. We have one going at Clarksville here in a few weeks. Uh, we just graduated one of the ones in Pennsylvania here today. And uh, it's, it's, uh, we do our, uh, our holiday meals thing where we go uh, help financially struggling vets and leave some food on the doorstep. Uh, we did about 60 meals in partnership with the VFW in Ohio this year. We did 257 here, which put us over 300, and we did uh, 38, I think it was, in New Jersey. Uh, we have not yet, we have not, and uh, that that uh, territory goes south to Philadelphia, north to Scranton, and west to Maryville in Pennsylvania. It goes down to Mount Holly to the south in New Jersey, and uh, out into Hunterdon County, and then kind of comes back at 78 near Easton in the New Jersey section. And uh, most of what it is in Ohio is in the uh, Mount Vernon, Zanesville, Coshocton, uh, Newark uh, box there, just uh, a little bit west of, of Columbus. But I, I, I will bet you a dollar that we crack the seal on Columbus before this year is over. And, uh, and Columbus is a huge pocket of homeless veterans. And uh, I think I rambled too much at that time. Did I? No, no, because I know how excited you are about this when we've talked to each other. Um, I want to go, though, I I don't want to cut you off, but I want to go back to certain things. The first thing that I want to talk about is when you say uh, some of your former teammates um, have uh, that they thought it was an insult to this. You I think, you know, us being grown men have been in the military, all those kind of things. You do see where they're coming from, correct? Not a bit. Okay. So here's my question to you. When when they say that, is it because they think if I can do it, anybody can do it? Is that is that the kickback that you're getting from it? No, and in fact, uh, they don't come say anything to me. Uh, they say it to people around me for them to say it to me, and then those people don't even tell me who they are when I challenge right. it. But. Uh, I just hear comments about, hey, you know, some of the guys aren't real happy you named this after him. And uh, my perception, my perception, his uh, his stepfather still, his uh, father-in-law mm-hmm. still teaches at the war college down here. He comes up once a year or so, walks around very proud to see how we're doing, talks to some of the people that live here, and uh, smi- is smiling ear to ear when he leaves that 
the legacy left for his son-in-law, who we thought very highly of. His uh, his his surviving daughter has uh, has always been very very uh, proud of it, I believe. And uh, I sometimes I think the son, who's now a deputy sheriff in in uh, Florida, uh, verbally says he's happy, but sometimes I don't always see that in his eyes. I think you can see the sadness of what happened to his father in his eyes, my perception. And uh, uh, this was, they were, what a couple those two were. And uh, it's not really my place to talk about the after effects uh, right. for the family. So I'm, I'm trying to both answer the question and, and, and retain their privacy. It's, that's important to do. So here's and, how uh, we can do that. Let, let's do it this mm -hmm. way. Uh, what is it that these guys tell you? Not not the family. What is it these old team members not tell you, but but how it gets through the telephone game to you? What are they yeah. saying that their issue is with it? Because, like you said, to free the oppressed, what is what's the? I guess I'm trying to figure out what is the 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 kind of barrier for them that they they're not accepting of it. Well, when I when I have heard the the three times I've heard about it, the. Uh, all I said was, "Hey, look, I talked to the family. I didn't do this. I didn't do this just unilaterally. I went out and did it. I went and talked to the family first and asked if it was okay with them. And uh, you know, uh, I, I mentioned earlier that God has a plan thing, right? Absolutely. Uh, well, uh, Major Sarverson, my friend Paul, however we want to refer to him, uh, was was uh, taken from us on the 16th of June, 2004. Uh, the surgery that put me out of the army was the last straw it was the 16th of June, 2006. And the, uh, by fate, the closing when we bought the building was the 16th of June, 2014. We didn't, we didn't orchestrate it that way. And I didn't even realize the dates until I called Jackie and said, Hey, Jackie, we closed today. It's happening. And, uh, she started crying and said, today was the day. And I was still in Baghdad and it got lost in the blur of the day. So I wasn't watching days from over there. I remember having to I remember having to buy the flowers online through the internet through the through the unit computers and uh but I never I never looked again until she said that I I lost the day and uh it when I heard the day when her say it the day I did know was the day I had my surgery and I didn't none of them clicked the uh the uh, the interconnectivity of it all just seemed like like it was shouting like it was God has got his hand in this and, and uh, I don't always, always get to know the plan and things just show up in front of me that then I have to deal with them or the resources show up for something. I've been going, man, we should really be dealing with that and don't have the resources and bam, they show up. It's, uh, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to, hard to put into words what's going on here, but, uh, but a lot of the local Legion posts, uh, some of the VFW posts, the VVA chapter have, uh, a lot of the churches, a lot of uh, civic groups like the Rotary and the Lions Clubs, and it is, it is, it's a thing. You, you, you almost have to see it to believe it. It's a thing. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing with it. Um, when we talk about it, it is a, it's an, it's an amazing thing that you did for your friend uh, to keep his legacy not only alive for you but for other people who may be struggling. Um, when we talk about the people that you put there, you told me that your biggest problem with, uh, 
this whole job is um, not only mental, like we talked about, but uh, you have some other problems. Now, here's here's where I want to know where you're thinking about. When we talk about this, we, we get into drug abuse, we get into alcohol abuse, we get into um, mental issues, uh, mental health, suicide, those different kinds of things. When you see something like suicide, that's a huge thing right now. You have tons of organizations, 22 Kill, all these different ones that are going after that. You don't see a lot of organizations attacking the drug abuse, the alcohol abuse, the things that have festered over years, not really going after those things. You attack uh, those from the front. Um, yeah, we, we, uh, we have a much different view of it. And uh, I will tell you, it is my perception that uh, whether you're dealing with the service to civilian transition or the war to peace transition, uh, usually they happen at the same time. Uh, in the case of war to peace transition, they often happen at the same time. The uh, although uh, veterans coming from war back to service in the states deal with a war to peace transition that very often ends up with discipline problems that we attribute to PTSD, and a lot of veterans get thrown out because of that. But uh, often, uh, particularly with guardsmen in reserve, uh, they end up uh, they go to their combat deployment, they come back and they do a service to the civilian and a war to peace transition at the same time. And I will tell you, those things are wrought with social conflict. And it is my perception uh, from a lot of years now, absolutely, <laughs> for, for years now, the, uh, and hundreds of them, thousands of them in, in reality uh, of, of dealing with them. And, and everybody's, everybody's unique. There's no cut and dried, but there are but there are uh, similarities and uh, behavior norms that you see it recurring themes, if that makes sense. And uh, it is my perception that there are three core problems. Okay. The, uh, one of them, one of them is social conflict. The behavior norms of veterans are so drastically different from civilians at this point that there is a lot of normal behaviors that conflict with each other. Uh, the, the most glaring, most common one is we make no mistakes, people die, and we come at a mentality where we watch a lot of little things almost to the point civilians diagnose us as OCD all the time and consider it a PTSD. I view it as, a, as an elevated training level, uh, ele elevated education level, if you will. And uh, it is the first, and I say that in context with, it is the first time in history that the veterans are better educated than the civilians. The uh, part of that, that was all drafts and uh, uh, the lowest educated and least needed by society were taken first. And uh, now in the all volunteer army, we have floors on what we won't accept below and it has elevated uh, the education level point shift in society uh, where we've cherry picked and, and that has only magnified the problem. And that has only magnified the problems because the, uh, that social conflict piece, uh, the civilians still view us as a lesser, uh, lesser subspecies who could do nothing else. So what we did was join the military, and the military is worthless. There's a, there's a behavior norm there, but social conflict. If you can reduce the social conflict, that goes miles. There's the emotional scars of war. That's an important thing that you can work with a little bit and tone down. And then there's a loss of purpose and direction uh, when they come out. They don't the sense of mission, the sense of value. Uh, wanes why they're trying to figure out which way they're going to go but if but if you can help them learn to reduce the social conflict points 
if you can help them tone down the emotional scars effects, whether it be the nightmares or the or the uh, the anxiety or the or the depression, very often depression is associated with uh, with survivor's guilt issues, and anxieties are usually more uh, more associated with uh, with fight or flight type situations, uh, roadside bombs, gunfire, etc. The uh, and the uh, loss of purpose direction is universal. The social conflict is universal, uh, and you get. Uh, you get these three things competing and they, they're a little different balance for everybody, but those three things are the core. And if, and, and it is huge important to help them uh, learn to see why they do things the way they do and how civilians do the way they things they do and where the conflict points are so they can avoid them. And if you can cut down on that, you never hear of a veteran suicide that there wasn't a, a relationship problem ever. I will tell you that the four key things from those three problems and they are the same problems for all of them, is uh, our divorce rates are double, our unemployment rates are higher. Uh, that changes with, by state, but as a rule across the nation, our, our unemployment rates are double, our uh, homeless rates are double, and our suicide rates are so high that, that uh, it, defies, it defies common sense. We make up 7% of the population, according to the CDC, and 27% of suicides. And, and I will tell you this, I've done few things well in my life, the, uh, but I will tell you, if, if I've done nothing well, figuring that triangle out by dealing with the professionals that deal with trying to help the vets with the insights of what the vets deal with, where I could go, oh, that's why that's happening. Oh, that's why that's happening. And reshape some things in formats that better support the veterans. The, uh, I will tell you, our, our traditional recidivism for chronic homeless veterans is about 75% one year after, after they're housed. Our recidivism rate is less than five percent seven years later. That's that's significant. That's the, huge. Uh, yeah, and our uh, our suicide rates are still at zero. Seven hundred vets in, and we started in two thousand and twelve with that program. We didn't start our homeless shelter until twenty fourteen. The uh, and so, uh, Mark, what zero. what separates you then? What are you I doing just, different than everybody else is doing? Yeah, because they don't want to listen. They don't want to listen. Everybody wants to listen to a doctor. And, and, and I hope there's a doctor listening when I hear you say this. But, but nobody, nobody is doing military stuff in a Petri dish in a clinic. Nobody's doing it. And, and the doctors that are doing the studies, almost none of them have the insights to the way veterans see the world. And if you, if, if when you go to your default settings, the Freudian stuff, you know, the old Freudian slip, what goes in your mind you're not thinking about kind of stuff. If you go back to that and and you talk with doctors as you're helping veterans through PTSD, I was I was the peer rep with a very innovative doctor for a period of time. And we and there became a point when I started, I started to understand, oh, this is how this works. And then I realized the conflict points with the vets. Oh, no wonder they're doing this because they don't think like that. And, and my question is, for researchers in the future that I hope there's a doctor listening, we need, we need, you can't jump up and down and pound the table enough. We need combat veterans. We need 11 Bravos. We need 0311s. We need fighter pilots. We need PJs. We need special forces guys. We need SEALs. We need tankers. We need on scholarships to go be research scientists in psychiatry and psychology. We have to have it because the glaring void in the medical research communities is the reason this problem goes on. And 
our people, the veterans, think, turn to the experts. The experts are basing off a model that is no longer correct. Our default settings of the way we think are now we make no mistakes, people die, attention to detail, look at every little thing, and we come out and they don't understand that part. And if the researchers don't understand that we have a reset for the way we view our default uh, thoughts that we don't control that just happen, the behind the scenes programs in your computer <laughs> that run so that we can do this, the, uh, if they don't understand which programs are running in the back, they can't figure it out because the programs are driving everything. And, uh, and they don't, they don't. You tell me the doctor that was an 11 Bravo, Ranger Commando, Delta Force Operator, SEAL Team 6 guy, Pickett, Marsoc guy, 0311, go, go down the line, you show me one. The, uh, show me one. Because, because that lack of insight, the people that should catch it and go, oh, oh, that's what's going on, aren't there. They're not. They're, they're Tom Spooners hiring doctors to run Warrior's Heart. They're, they're all over the place. There's a Valhalla guys up here north of me, great guy. I'm not throwing any rocks at him, but what does he do? He goes and hires other doctors. He raises money from people and then pays a doctor that thinks just like all the other doctors. And that's not working. We all know that's not working. The whole country knows that's not working. And everybody's trying to fix it, but everybody missed the boat. And the boat is those three and you have to deal with those three. And they're not necessarily, only one of those three is a behavior health problem. So do we have to have problem, which is different? So do we have to have a research scientist? Why can't we just bring those guys in to be the I don't want to use the word counselor because that puts a clinical term on it. But well, why if we, can't even if we even if we start training to be be doctors, not just peer counselors. If I didn't have such an intense internship with the doctor I worked with, I it would never would have dawned on me. I never would have figured it out. The, uh, I interned side by side with a very innovative doctor for two years. And when we started getting toward the end of it, uh, we're trying to work together to build what's the plan gonna be? What are we gonna do different to bring these vets in and make it all work? Uh, she, would, she would be talking and, and trying to educate me and, and I'd be turning into veteran way we think and I'd lay it back out to her, oh, that's exactly why they're doing this, blah, 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 blah. And she would curl up her face and go, Mark, nobody thinks like that. And I'd go, Sylvia, we all think like that. And I never even realized we were thinking like that until you just pointed it out. And I thought, well, holy crow, she's right. And uh, and I think we're missing the boat. I, and, and with that said, uh, Dr. Elks in Florida is doing some amazing things with uh, new types of research like EMDR. I'm not saying there aren't some good things going out there, but if you were gonna understand at the core what's going on in the veterans' heads to help get them to go to the next place, because if they don't have buy-in and they don't understand it and it's not working for them, it's not working for anybody because if there's no ownership and buy-in, they're not going anyplace. And uh, basically our, our entire programs were built with veteran inputs and experiences of what veterans did. And we just changed all the civilian crap because uh, social workers don't understand veterans at all, and doctors understand them less. And uh, and so we, uh, one of my one of my uh, co-counselors, whatever you want to call them, 
uh, that worked with Sylvia, lost four feet of his intestine in Vietnam. He's got a he's got a different, uh, uh, more dated uh, legacy approach of things that he brought forward. He he thinks it's more important to just do rap sessions and listen to some music together and have a chance to vent, and uh, which isn't bad. It tones down the emotional scars piece, but uh, it doesn't give any new coping skills and it doesn't give any trigger management skills and it doesn't uh, do anything for closure to mitigate those long term. And it doesn't give any purpose and direction. And uh, if you can combine those three, if you can combine those three, I'm telling you, it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. And uh, and I'm not, uh, you know, just today I got to listen to some graduates. And uh, the uh, that social conflict piece hits hardest at the family. And we've had every opportunity we could brought couples in together. And, uh, and, and uh, this is the first time we've really had two couples together at the same time. But... Uh, it was very interesting uh, at our at our uh, graduation ceremony. We, we we don't do it like a high school or something. Uh, we do. We're all in it together. We're gonna learn. We're gonna learn from each other. We're gonna find our own road home. We're gonna make a plan to live that new life, right? And at the end, uh, they they feed off each other and learn from each other's experiences. It's a very dynamic group setting. But uh, uh, at the end, at the closure thing, when they get their diploma, uh, the a random instructor gets which in which diploma. You keep it to yourself and you talk to the group about uh, whichever veteran you've been selected to greet and thank and encourage in their, their new next phase. And uh, you don't really announce who they are first. You kind of talk about them and the rest of the group's there. And and, uh, and then the veteran comes up and, uh, and then they talk about back to the group, what they learned from the group. And then each person in the group talks back to the, the veteran about what they learned about the veteran. And it's kind of a... It's a team. It's a team thing. But uh, I, uh, where I'm going with that is, you should have heard the wives. <laughs> you should have heard the wives today. There were two of them in there, and uh, both, both with uh, Marines as their, as their partners. And uh, it was it was interesting to hear that. Oh, I didn't realize that that's what that was. And now that I see it different, I think. And they make their plans together, and and. Uh, and uh, it's, it's really exciting to see the changes. And I thought we were going to be divorced in a few months. <laughs> I don't think that anymore. I think we're going to, I think we're going to be okay. And uh, that's encouraging. And uh, if you can, if you can get that part managed for them, everything else gets easier. Uh, you can't have a life where you're having conflict at work and feeling lost when you're trying to work with the VA and, and all these other uh, challenges that are in front of you at the same time while you're starting a new lifestyle and they come home to nothing but chaos in the house too. You can't. And uh, and it is our experience that the social conflict points that are in the house are the same ones that carry work and uh, uh, seem to be the big reason that the unemployment rate's getting fired because I follow up with our vets. When we get a vet uh, network to get a vet placed with a job and then they get fired, I go down there and talk to the boss. Hey, Scott, man, sorry about that. What happened? And I never hear that they weren't the first one there, that they worked the hardest, that they did great work, that they stayed late, and it was all about the mission. They were prepped. I never hear that that's not the case. I hear they argued and fought with their colleagues all the time to the point the boss couldn't deal with it anymore and fired them. And then I go back to the vet. I go, hey, what's going on? The, uh, what happened there? Oh, they were all they were all messed up. What a, what a mess, man. They couldn't do anything. I was squaring them away. <laughs> I was squaring them away. The, uh, remember my earlier comment? It's the first time we're better educated. We're, we're more motivated. We're better educated. We we plan and think ahead and, and think about the mission. 
Selene's done. Selene's done, and it goes like this, bam. And uh, if uh, you can get them to understand why they do it, so that they start to pick and choose when they do it, and understand how they see it, so they can pick and choose when it's important to push them or to just, hey, it's not worth fighting about, uh, social conflict goes way down. It goes way down. And if you're not fighting with your colleagues, you're not getting fired. And if you're not fighting with your wife, you're not getting divorced. And man, it just, that becomes, that that takes so much conflict out of their life and life gets so much better that they don't, they don't feel anywhere near as depressed or frustrated. They don't do anywhere near as much drinking or drugs. And next target, that's, that's first target. The next target, we go after the emotional scars and we try to ID where the trauma was and how it affects their behavior and uh, do some closure events to tone some of that down. We're, we're not doctors. And if we see there's much more mental health, then we, we know where to reach for partners that get the vets. And uh, uh, EMDR is a, a tremendous tool. We, we try to find EMDR doctors in particular. And when there's too much, when there's, when it's full on addiction versus a self-medicating thing to manage something and we can't break the, psych, the grip of addiction, uh, we, we find other very often the VA, but when it's really significant, we try to partner with Warriors Heart down there. Tom Spooner's people are very good. Josh and uh, I don't even remember Josh's last name anymore, but uh, a friend of mine's down there now. But uh, and then at, at our last phase, we basically make them write a ten-part op order for their lives. <laughs> they, they 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 analyze their entire life on bar graphs when things were going well by category and when they were going poorly what the gems were. No, we're pulling out the gems. We're keeping those. What was the coal, the problems? Let's get rid of those. And then they build a new life plan with uh, three goals in each of the 10 categories and uh, three tasks to accomplish each goal. They end up with a with a, a 90 task test list spread out over 10 life critical life areas and everything from professional to hobbies. I mean, it's, it's all inclusive. And uh, they uh, make a plan for how they're going to live it different and put some some purpose and direction back in their own lives. And uh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> you so, would be surprised. So, Mark, yeah. when you talk about this um, alcohol where, where you're trying to separate whether it's self-medicating, whether it's alcoholism, I want to pose the question to you that a lot of people say. A lot of people blame the VA for this. A lot of people blame that the VA is just uh, – prescribing pill after pill after pill, pushing them through the door. It's just a, it's just a pill press in there. They're coming in, getting their prescriptions and going out. So doing a lot of that. So there's, so there's kind of a two fronted question here. One, if it's the VA doing it, who's supposed to be helping them, how do we close that door? And number two, when we come over here and we do close that door, now we have a whole mess of things to deal with because we've just turned off what might have been helping them control that, and now we have a whole new monster to feed. And there's a there's a withdrawal problem if you just pull them off too. And uh, and uh, and uh, and and we are more like educated life coaches uh, than doctors. That uh, that emotional scars piece, you can do some things to tone it down or make peace or find forgiveness with survivor's guilt uh, with with activities. But it's uh, if the wiring gets busted, uh, that's for doctors to decide. That's not us. We when we try to take them to other doctors, when hey, you know, this is more than this is this is more than reformatting their life and figuring some things out uh, intensely. It's intense. 
figuring it out, but it's, it's an, that's what it is. It's figuring it out and learning a new thing. It's almost like training to be a civilian. And, uh, uh, but there are, there are doctors that get it better than others and, uh, have a better understanding. And, uh, uh, there's, there's a doctor, I'll just call her Anne-Marie. I'm not in place to, to throw under, you know, I don't have her permission to talk with her about her on a podcast, but, uh, but uh, sometimes I call it stacking, for example. I'm making an example of when it's beyond us and we turn to professionals, right? And the professionals sometimes use drugs. Uh, Anne-Marie's inclined to do some other things first, so we, we like her. And stacking is the issue that often is more than just learning to interface with civilians, training to be a civilian. Uh, and what I call stacking is, so say there was child abuse, and the reason they go in the service is they're getting away from the child abuse. And then uh, they have a series of events in downtown Baghdad doing convoy security or something that aren't good. And uh, and then they come home, they start drinking too much, forgetting about it, Ooh, trying to work off the stress and partying with their buddies. They go back a second tour. They, they, don't really deal, they don't really deal with it. They do things to mask it. Drinking is the example I'm making. Then they get deployed on a second deployment and they get some more bad stuff. And now this time they come back, they still haven't dealt with the first one. They still haven't dealt with the, ch the child abuse. And now they got a third bunch of stuff stacked up and they come back. And I'm, I'm here to tell you the odds that that one is getting a DUI or a fight at work or, or, or then turning late and needing a lot of help all at one time. And the med prescriptions are gonna be high. They're gonna be missing formations. There's gonna be a discipline problem that that one's getting in trouble. I'm just telling you. They're going to end up out here lost, have no social skills, emotional scars of war, and have no direction and purpose and be, a, oh, they need more than just coaching. Does that make sense? And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, I, and I see them, I see them regularly. And, uh, and when there's situations like that, it, it's clearly, it's clearly beyond just us doing really intense one-on-one -on -one human care coaching to, hey, let's let's work this out. There's things we can do. We can make peace with that. Let's go to the tombstone. Let's. I know they're not here to answer you. Go to the tombstone and ask for forgiveness, and, and we'll go with them. Kind of things to help tone down the survivor's guilt or the, the fear. Uh, let's go meet with some of the people you were there with when the roadside bomb scared you. Let's. We. We work through some stuff, right? And, uh, but there's stuff that. Uh, when, particularly when stacking occurs, it it is uh, there's, a, there's a role for doctors in this. And uh, uh, my encouragement is that we figure out how to have more doctors that have the veteran insight and understand those social, social conflict points, how the emotional scars and that uh, purpose and direction things, so we get a better balance. Because right now, as you stated, it's too far to the pills. When the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Remember that old saying? Absolutely. And, and what, we're, we're swinging too many hammers at this and not enough screwdrivers and pliers and saws. And, and uh, if that's a good analogy, I would hope of, hey, there's more to this than just throwing pills at people. And uh, some of the better programs in the country are doing less of that. And uh, we had one of our vets uh, who did our program a few times. He, he had a lot of stuff. And, uh, but he's from Virginia. And the VA referred him to a place called Bouldercrest. And, uh, and he comes back to spend more time with us. He's the vet that I told you we keep a room for that's not really homeless, but he, and, uh, 
Mark, Mark, you guys have almost the exact same program as Boulder Crest. How'd you make the same program as them without talking to them? I don't know, but but I want to meet them because at least somebody's starting to crack the code, right? And then there was that big news story recently. I guess they have uh, they got forty million dollars from the Home Depot guy. It's, I forget where the other guy was, but there was two big billionaires that uh, give twenty million dollars each to Boulder Crest to put one in every state, and uh, and we're doing basically the same thing, which is kind of interesting. So but, you might want to hit up Lowe's. <laughs> <laughs> hey Lowe's. <laughs> so yeah. let me ask you before we get into your programs. There's one question that ever since I met you has been turning over and over in my head. And I think that, uh, a lot of people, uh, think this way. Um, what do you do for the ones that don't want the help? You clearly see they're on a bad path, but they don't want your help. And no matter what you do for them, they're going to turn it away and do what they're going to do. Is it a lost cause? What do you do? You know, I, I have a, uh, a former Alpha Company Third Ranger Battalion uh, guy local that that I've run him through my house four times. I've taken him to our retreat programs. And this is him. I'm good. I'm good. I did it now. Am I done? Can I leave? I'm good. The uh, that gets you no place. <laughs> that gets you no place. And and I and I flew him to Warriors Arc twice. No once, twice. And. Uh, one of the times he showed up there, walked in the door, asked some questions, and they told him what it was going to be. He goes, well, I want it like this. They said, nope. He turned around and walked out and hitchhiked to the airport and called asking for, for airport money to fly back. Oh, no, you're out of your mind, son. <laughs> what do you do with that? I mean, it's it's uh, tough. I have a Marine literally today that uh, the final step of the retreat, he, uh, he did the first two sessions, and he had a hard time, and then uh, – I have some rules at the homeless shelter. No drinking, no drugs, no violence, right? The, uh, everything else we can work through. You do one of those three, you're out. The, uh, and, uh, and he snapped a twig and, uh, beat up two Vietnam vets on altering days before I could convene the uh, discipline panel board to review his case and interview him and the people that were affected and decide how we would handle it. He, uh, he beats up another one. <laughs> he beats up another one. And uh, so we didn't do the, I had to do executive decision at that point. You're out. Right. And uh, so a six month rule, he can, he can talk to us again. Hey, did you learn your lesson? Kind of, kind of thing. And uh, he, uh, so he's, he's two phases through the retreat program. He's living in the house. He's got to do the last phase. Six months go by, eight months go by. He comes, hey, can I do my last phase? I don't want to come back in the house. I know I kind of blew it there, but can I do my last phase? And so we let him come this weekend. Not having seen him in eight months. And he was an utter waste of time. He did nothing for himself. He just grumbled and complained and disrupted everybody else's answers in the group. And and uh, and so at the end, I he asked if he could come back to the house. And I gave him the phone number to another house. Hey, man, you should go over there because... We expect people to try, and you're not trying. And uh, uh, funny, when I was first opening, I called some of the other veterans homeless shelters in the area and said, hey, I've never done this before. Uh, the only thing I know how to run is the barracks. I can run it like the barracks, but that's not going to be good. Got any advice for me? And they said, yeah, get lots of security cameras. Face them all in. 
I said, what the hell do you mean by that? They said, well, nobody's going to break into a homeless shelter. You don't got to worry about what's going on outside. But everybody that lives in there is desperate. <laughs> and if they, think, if, if they think they can make some money off what you've got inside, they'll steal it. And I said, oh, that's great. And the, uh, and we've not had a lot of problems with that. The, uh, uh, coincidentally, both places I called have bulletproof glass and, and guards at the door and won't let buzz people in and out. We don't do that. The, uh, maybe our... Maybe they get angry at them and steal from them just to get even with them. I don't know. But the uh, the the other place, what they told me was one bad apple will take six with them. Throw the bad ones out. Don't. And when you find out about it, don't let them back because they'll destroy what you're trying to do with six others. That one will ruin six others and 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 you won't help as many people get rid of them. Identify them fast, get rid of them fast, and and your results will be better. And I have uh, wished more than once I followed that advice. I have too much empathy for them. Keep thinking I can get them to understand where their conflict points are and then make a better decision. They change those things going forward. And for the case of Luke today, at some point you got to you got a hey they. They're just not trying. I'm going to network him a job. I'm still going to network him a job, but he's not coming back in the house and ruining any of the other ones. He's not. He's not. I'll, I'll get him a job as a carpenter probably before the end of this week is over. And uh, and I'll probably even get another charity to fix his car that's currently broken. That's why he limped in asking for help. But uh, but I'm not taking him back in where he can ruin the, ruin the basket for the others. And that's uh, tough. But it's different on every one of them. You can't. Does it ever feel like, I guess, it does it ever feel like it's not worth it? Oh, oh, that's a, that's a tough, it is, uh, uh, when you're dealing with people in outside circles like you, uh, people think what a great thing it is and they say good things to you. As a rule, the people you uh, deal with that are desperate, it's never enough. They're like the squeaking bird all the time wanting a worm. And there's there's times when you're just where you just know <laughs> you run out of gas, and uh, and I was doing 100 hours a week for years. <clears throat> I, I, as I mentioned to you on the phone, I don't get paid. None of the board gets paid. The, uh, the house manager gets uh, gets 2,600 dollars a month, and one person we we pay part time to go to to go to the the uh, like the homeless committees and things in the area. The uh, he gets he gets a thousand dollars a month to do that and uh, uh, interface with the website company to make sure our stuff gets caught up and uh, and and we field about eight hundred and fifty volunteers, uh, reaching probably two thirds of one of the biggest states in the country in Pennsylvania, and a significant presence now in Ohio. Uh, we we are renovating another uh, facility in Ohio, and. Uh, still get our holiday meals deep in deep into new jersey uh we will get our stand downs going again we used to do uh, uh camden mount holly and trenton but uh governor murphy's COVID rules squashed it it was a little hard to keep the team up under the under the restrictions we couldn't sort clothes we couldn't we couldn't do anything everybody kind of threw their hands up and quit and uh it was hard to keep together when the restrictions come off i'll I'll jump back in there and start leading some things myself. But I would think it would be hard for just the people going through the program with COVID. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to my nightmare. Yeah. So 
I really want to talk, Mark, about these, um, and I know you do too because we talked about this before the show ever happened. Let's talk about these programs because there's some pretty amazing numbers that go with them. First off, let's talk uh, Hope for the Homeless. 2019 numbers, uh, 1,983 vets, 29,058 meals. Uh, you gave 4,015 nights of shelter. You furnished 89 apartments for homeless vets. Those are incredible numbers, Mark. Yeah, it keeps us hopping. It keeps us hopping. Uh, I will. I will tell you that uh, the community, the, the community is the reason these things can happen. We get we get volunteers uh, come in and do these things. Uh, uh, while I was getting an email to get the link from you, I got two emails. People trying to donate me couches. <laughs> I'm. I'm in the community. The community makes this happen. I become an enabler. Uh, there was a point in time when I was the one carrying couches and beds into into apartments and and putting the meals on people's porch and and uh and doing all the management and going out doing the, the begging in the community to the post hey can you help us with this i need we do a coat drive for us i got all this coming up and and uh and uh t talking to politicians and and trying to write grants myself which i stink at by the way the uh and uh it was it was uh it was 100 hours a week, and then I had four heart procedures in 2020 as, as a result, and I went, well, I guess i got to do this different. <laughs> yeah, that, that might be a, a time to maybe step back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, Now, the VA the, didn't uh, make so, you pay for those, did they? <laughs> no, they did not. Thank goodness. <laughs> those are, I'm here to tell you the numbers on those bills were big numbers. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and uh, the... Uh, but it, 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 there is no escape in the emotional ride of what people are going through right now. When you do ICU by yourself with major stuff going on, you can't have a visitor. You can't have nothing. That This is a crazy time in this country. I'm here it to is. tell you. you. You can't even have somebody standing there next to you while you're on drugs and whatever they're doing for you prepping to be a clear head and remember and help ask questions and nothing. You... The, uh, it is it is a tough time, and uh, and we still managed to help a thousand and change uh, veterans in 2020, which uh, which we did nowhere near the numbers of uh, of apartments. We did nowhere near the numbers in the outreach in the street stuff. We we maintained the numbers at our homeless shelter. I think uh, we had far fewer dogs. I don't know what happened with dogs in the COVID, but uh, we have a four stall stall uh, dog kennel with 15 foot runs outside. Uh, block building with with uh, cages inside with the doors where they have a five by five area in out of the weather with a heater and then the 15 foot runs out there and our dog kennels are usually it's usually pretty full and uh, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a dog in my kennel right now not one <laughs> all four stalls are empty They're, they and, don't want to uh, deal with COVID either so <laughs> no but uh, but it uh uh, dogs were one of the big obstacles where, where vets would rather stay in the woods or live in their car than come into a homeless shelter because everybody's making them get rid of their dogs. We just right. built a dog camp, right? And, uh, but, uh, but, uh, uh, and you know what the crazy part is of all those numbers? Uh, if you do what we, we call them stand downs when we set up to give out the clothes and the food to the homeless in the street, and uh, that's where we help most of the vets. And then we try to encourage them to come into the homeless shelter help them get their affairs in order and transition into apartments, right? It's kind of the, the thing and the hope for the homeless, right? The phases. And uh, the scary thing is if you do it and you say it's just for veterans, 
the veterans won't come. They won't come. They think they're being rounded up and singled out. So when we, it's true, it's true. And uh, so we set it up for just the homeless. And then they come in like mingled in the crowd. And uh, so we escort everybody through so we can get to know them and figure out which ones are vets and then divert them. And we give better resources to the vets. And then we try to cultivate them to go to. But uh, we helped eight to one civilians at those events all those years. Well, it's funny that they they think if <laughs> if you just say it's for the military, they won't show up because they think they're being herded in. But technically, <laughs> when they come with everyone else, they're being herded aside. So <laughs> I think it's a very smart thing. Number two, Veterans Unstoppable. 2019 numbers. So Veterans Unstoppable, first off, is a five-phase, three-month, four-day uh, four sessions, correct? Yeah. Okay. So 2019 numbers. Helped to 83 veterans provided 4,769 hours of counseling, and launched a couples program. Yep. This is on top of the Hope for the Homeless. Huh? This is on top of Hope for the Homeless. Yes, it is. Okay. Let's talk about these, because this one seems to be kind of where the – this kind of seems to be the launch pad. Uh, The – the first one's getting them the jobs, the house, everything. This one is kind of putting them on that new path. Yes, that one without question is the putting them on the new path. And we have like a peer group uh, version that we run at the homeless shelter on Thursday nights for a couple, three hours every Thursday night. We also run it at the local American Legion for the community uh, on Tuesdays. But uh, but we do the retreat version is much more intense. And it's where we do the couples as a rule. But uh, but it uh, that's the one where you get people on a new path. You can teach them things. It's uh, it's immersion for a, for a Friday through Monday, once a month for three months, and they have homework projects on their life in the middle that apply to those three areas we talked about, and uh, uh, and and there there are there are five chunks, not just those three, but those are the main ones. The uh, getting your hand getting a handle on the social conflict, getting your arms around the emotional uh, scars. And getting some purpose and direction back in your life. Uh, the fifth one is we teach healthy lifestyle changes. Hey, do something different and keep doing what you're always doing. You're in a mess. So we teach them to fly fish and we teach them to archery hunt. Uh, that's the fifth one. And the first one is some uh, more along the lines of trigger management, manage your health, uh, deal with toxic exposure kind of things. Uh, we do some things with diet and uh, and uh, exposure to other things and uh, encourage them to, to start developing healthy hobbies, ride a bike, hike, yeah, the, uh, uh, within your, within your uh, constraints or your new normal, because most of them have, have injuries or illnesses from their service. Uh, those are the five, but the, but the big, the big three are, are getting your arms around the social conflict. And if you have to pick one that, that makes the most difference, it's that one, the social conflict one, uh, the emotional scars, uh, that's what traditionally uh, the community as a nation thinks about. They think about the PTSD, the crime, the nights, the uh, the nightmares, and things like that. And uh, and and those are aggravated by the social conflict. If you're fighting and arguing all the time, and you have those emotional scars going, oh, that's a bad combination. And and oh, by the way, when you when you should be able to focus on something else, get out there and work and do and do and have some purpose and direction. If you if you don't have that third one, oh, it's a mess. It's a mess, and uh, but that is very that is that is a very draining one for me because uh, you have to go there and live everybody's experiences again, and so uh, 
we are we are going to do in Clarksville. We're going to do our uh, 26th or 27th class. We started uh, building that program in 2012, and uh, launched it in 2014. And we are uh, going to do I think our 27th class in Clarksville in June, and then. Uh, uh, I have never heard one come out of there that when you run into them again or talk to them later, because there's a lot of follow-up. You get to know these people really well, and they uh, they reach back, and uh, they I never heard one say that the, the relationships didn't change with uh, the people close to them, not once. The uh, my my daughter wouldn't talk to me. My wife hated me. All we did was yell at each other. We don't do that anymore. I know <laughs> that's what we wanted. We didn't want you doing that anymore. We wanted you to be able to get along with the people that were important to you, and uh, the relationship piece is huge. If you can, if you can, if you can reconnect with those people that matter, it it changes everything, and uh, the rest of it becomes tolerable if you don't get your arms around the rest of it. But you get your arms around that one, and then the next target, you get your arms around the emotional scars, and then you get some purpose and direction. I'm here to tell you, they do amazing changes. Amazing changes. The next program that we talk about is Holiday Meals. These are 2019 numbers again. 235 veteran families, 12,690 meals. Yeah, and that was uh, 235 veteran families at Thanksgiving, at Christmas, at Easter each. So really it's 700-ish. But, uh, but yeah, we do that three times a year. And uh, we deliver about 18 meals to each one of those houses uh do the math on that i mean those, yeah. those boxes of food that we drop off cost 125 bucks a pop and uh that's a that's a <laughs> the, the programs are reaching your pocket to make it happen but why is that program important well one you know everybody knows how important food is right and you've got a financially struggling veteran family that's that's needing some food support that's a good plan but uh but there are two uh primary targets for us to help change lives, right? That's what we do. We help vets get back on their feet and get their lives back together. That's what we do. And the first problem for malnutrition, the first thing affected by malnutrition is the brain. And it doesn't process thoughts well. It doesn't process information well, and it gets frustrated. And when you when you get frustrated because you can't process a thought and you're having social conflict issues, there are Asperger's problems, right? So our uh, some people refer to it as impulse control anger management, some people call it anger management. Uh, but in either case, the outcome's the same. And some of it can be reduced just by correcting the malnutrition shortfalls. So when we do the holiday meals, they are high vitamins and healthy stuff, right? And it is a turkey in large part as the core of the meal is built around a turkey, uh, in large part because of its effect on cortisol, cut down the stress on the holidays, enjoy the holidays kind of, kind of approach, right? Uh, but equally, holidays are trigger points very often. Uh, uh, it, is, it is rare indeed to find a veteran that did a combat deployment that didn't uh, experience time away during holidays that they were missing. And, and our enemies like to attack us on our holidays because one, in theory, our guards down a little bit. But in two, oh, yeah, we don't want you celebrating. Here's extra roadside bombs or more rockets coming into the base or whatever the, the activity is of the day that they're trying to get us with. So very often there are PTSD events associated with the holiday. So what we don't want is veterans that don't have the means to be choosing between the dentist for their daughter 
or celebrating a holiday when they're already at risk of, there's a lot of stuff converges at a holiday for PTSD vets, a lot. And, uh, and you, can, you can do a whole lot to mitigate things just by providing a really good healthy meal for, and, and the target numbers uh, varies every place, but as we target the meals, it's for a family of three to have company of a relative of another family of three. And we give all the food from breakfast through dessert uh, for those six people. So three and a half meals each is kind of generally how, how we look at it. So uh, uh, you can make an argument it's 21 meals and uh, times 235 families times three is it's a lot of food. It's a lot of food, but, but the potential benefits uh, can't be ignored. And when you talk with people about why we do it, they want to be part of it. And if you go to an American Legion and you're talking, hey, we're doing this for you, do you think maybe you guys could gather up some bags of onions or bags of apples or some of the things we have on our list? The, uh, uh, and they hear about it, they start nominating people in their post. And it's, uh, it's a thing and it's a good thing. And uh, I'm more proud of that program, actually. Well, I, you know, another maybe unseen one is you have that next generation seeing what you guys are doing. They're seeing that there is an alternative to everything that's happening. And if you look at it, this next generation, I've talked about it uh, with a lot of my guests on the show. We've been at war for 20 plus years now. Yep. So that I next generation, that next generation yep. is definitely going to be part of it. But to see that there is hope, it's not all um, because I would think that a lot of these uh, families would just see doom and gloom. You're mm, showing them probably. that there's hope. So I mean, there's another benefit there. Yes, so there let's, is. let's move on to resilient warrior. These are again, 2019 numbers. You hope 60 veterans. Now here was the big one that I told you about that, that blew my mind. You provided $1.5 million back to veterans to help them get back into to jobs, to yeah. get their social security, yeah. to get whatever it may be. That's a staggering number. Yeah, but uh, but really, we enabled them to access it from other resources. But uh, but yeah, we and quite frankly, we do a lot of food stamps and social security stuff. But that's not in the numbers. That 1.5 million is all VA disability rating money. Right. And, uh, and that's uh, so. In reality, it's higher than that. But I don't I don't get uh, I know from the rating that comes back how much they got to compute the VA number. Uh, Social Security is dependent on an income that I've never seen. I never know that number. I just get a hey, Mark, it went through. Thanks, man. The uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't usually see the number and uh, the food stamps. How much they get varies person to person. I don't get to see that either. Or the civilian uh, health benefit stuff. I don't get to see that either. I know they get it, but I don't know what a dollar figure is for it. So that uh, that is just the the VA disability claims for service connection for illness and injury received in service. In game, let's talk about it. Uh, you want to design and the construction of six new buildings. You want to repair to two of your buildings that you already have. You want support yeah. for retreats, books, meals, utilities, equipment, everything that we talked about, maintenance. And uh, it's all within a 192 acre site in Pennsylvania. Yes, sir. Yes, it is. So, how far are we from this in game? Uh, the, you know, the uh, the engineering phase takes much longer than I would like. 
we went under contract to buy the property in 2017. Uh, we were finally able to close. Uh, there was complications with the owner uh, that delayed closing, but uh, we closed about a year later in uh, in September 2018, and went immediately on the engineering process to get through the engineering approvals. And uh, in fact, we had it pre-worked out, but as soon as we closed, they would begin so that we didn't even have any delay. And uh, by the time you, you go back and forth with the DEP and you have the soil scientists coming in to see what your, your uh, sewage plumes are gonna be, and, and then COVID hits and slows everything down, uh, we just now got where the Planning Commission uh, blessed our engineering designs and sent them to the county. I am hoping that the first buildings are in before the first snow flies. And, uh, but I anticipate that will be two buildings initially. We, uh, we, we, uh, our, our MO is that we eat an elephant one bite at a time when we can pay for it. And uh, our property taxes are waived. So when we get a building up, our sustainment is the electric bill, basically. And, uh, and so we'll have, I expect to have two, two of the buildings up and running by, uh, by Christmas. And uh, the first one will be the one that we have to operate out of while we build the others. Uh, that'll be what we're calling the maintenance buildings. It's a two-story barn with lean-tos on the side, the park tractor's under. And uh, one of my ranger buddies has already donated a skid steer, but he won't give it to us the building's up. And uh, uh, the training building will be the second building because that's an important building. We're already doing healthy lifestyle adjustment activities out there where we teach fly fishing. We have 3,000 uh, feet of uh, high-quality trout steering. With a, with a very good uh, population of trout where we teach them to fly fish and uh, adopt it as a healthy lifestyle change and go out and continue to do it instead of going to bars or getting high. And it will have an indoor archery range to teach them to, uh, to do that, 192 acres. We have a series of deer sites around it and some food plots. We're putting in fruit trees this year. Uh, and then we will be able to support what we're doing there now and uh, be positioned to resource the putting up of the rest. And uh, and while those two buildings are going up, I'm gonna be chasing money other places to uh, get the lodge up and the dorm up and uh, the cadre building. And uh, and we will probably just uh, one pallet at a time by the cylinder blocks and put the building where we're gonna, you know, somebody gets a deer, you gotta have a place to go and clean it up. And, and uh, that'll be a block building. That's the sixth building. Uh, that'll be over between the, uh, the training building and the, and the maintenance building. And, uh, and, and we have some volunteers that are retired masons. We'll put that up with, we'll just do that one ourselves. We'll have to hire the other two out. But, uh, and then we'll be halfway through. That'll be phase one. And uh, we'll get complete with phase one. We'll shift to the uh, bigger buildings. And uh, until we get the bigger buildings up, we're gonna have to continue to lease uh, facilities for our retreat program, which is what's gonna go on in the other buildings as the retreat program. And uh, we currently lease at a facility called Spruce Lake here in Canadensis, Pennsylvania, and a very nice facility. We we we, uh, we lease one of the outbuildings and then dine in their main cafeteria for the for the meals. and And we have plenty of privacy, and we have good uh, logistic support. It works out well for us on a temporary basis uh, until we get the buildings up. But we will continue to do the program with uh, with smaller classes. Uh, the reason this facility is so important is because per head. When we have to lease at these places, it's pricey. We get a lot of donated food, 
We have a lot of volunteers. I will I will feed them with donated food and cook it with volunteers in a facility that we don't have a bill for, and I can triple the size of the class and still have it cheaper than we're paying now for smaller classes. And uh, the goal is to help more veterans on a manageable budget. And uh, and we can do that if we get our facility up. So maybe if there's somebody out there that, that wants to chip in, we have a website that, uh, that they can make donations through, or if somebody has an empathy the struggles veterans are facing and want to see more veterans alive. We're very proud of the fact that about 40% of our veterans that went through the program were suicidal and uh, all of them are alive to this day or died of other causes. None of them took their own lives. And, uh, and our recidivism rate, because that seems the same problems uh, cause the falling out of the family and the jobs that cause homelessness too. And our recidivism rate uh, seven years in since 2014, we have four back in the street. And uh, and that's that's important. If I could figure out how to break the ring, the fingers of addiction, none of them would be back in the street. So uh, addiction's a problem the whole country is dealing with that we haven't cracked the code on. But if you catch them before addiction and you can help them get your hand on those big three, the social conflict, the emotional scars, and the purpose and direction, you can you can change their lives. How can people help, Mark? Uh, they can donate or they can volunteer. Where they can be a pathfinder and help get me into a new town. Uh, we have some people trying to get us into Dallas, Texas right now, and some people trying to get us into North Carolina right now, and, and a friend that's on the fence if he's going to help me get into Phoenix or not. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep tugging on Dave's arm and go, hey, Sergeant Major, you can do this, man. Help me. And, uh, but if I have my way, that we'll go all the way across the country and do this everywhere. We do not have a unique problem here in Pennsylvania. This is a national problem. And... Uh, if uh, veterans do not find the answer to help the other veterans, the answer will not be found, in my opinion. And if the insights that veterans bring to veteran behaviors and veteran uh, uh, challenges are not integrated to the system, it won't happen. And uh, unfortunately, most of the ones I've seen that go into social work adopt the social work norms as if anything that they bring from the veteran world doesn't count. And I would hope that someday that some of the veterans would start going, wait a minute, the social workers don't get us and we're going to have to be leaders and, and start a new path because uh, there's challenges in this country right now. We have to work them out. The veterans deserve it from us. Well, Mark, you're a great man and you're doing great things. Guys, if you want to help Mark out, you can go to ValorClinic.org. You can call them at 570-664-6468. You can go to their website and it talks about the Memorial Mile, the events, the donations, how you can help. It's got a blog there. You can contact them and you can buy swag like Mark is wearing right here. If you want more of me, you can catch me on Twitter at DoublespeakDJ. You can catch me on Facebook at the DTD Podcast, and you can catch me on YouTube at the DTD Podcast. Make sure you do for me. You subscribe and you leave a review. It helps me get out there in front of more people so we can promote these causes. That's going to be it for the show. That's Mark. I'm DJ. This has been it. We'll catch you on the next one, guys. We'll see you later.